0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast, from the Scoop News Group, a five-point plan for delivering data for DOD and a sharpening focus on the Navy's cyber strategy. It's Monday, September 26th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The electronic health record program at the Department of Veterans Affairs is on hold until the agency and the contractor, Oracle Cerner, address patient safety issues. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough says each hospital that's supposed to get the system has an implementation checklist to follow. McDonough says after that checklist is complete at each location, the agency will take a new look at whether to go live at that facility. A new Acquisition Policy Advisory Committee will guide the General Services Administration's leadership on what the agency calls emerging acquisition issues. GSA says the 28 inaugural members will focus on, quote, driving changes to embed climate and sustainability considerations in federal acquisition. Troy Cribb of the Partnership for Public Service is the chair of the committee. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Leaders from the Defense Department, CISA, and lots of other government agencies are coming to Cyber Talks this year. It's happening Thursday, October 20th at the Waldorf Astoria in downtown D.C. You can find a link to the agenda and registration in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. The Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks says data is the core of warfighting and back office functions for the department. Hicks lists data integration as one of the most important metrics for the new Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office. Rob Carey is president of Cloudera Government Solutions, he's former Chief Information Officer of the Navy and former Principal Deputy CIO of the Defense Department. At Defense Talks, he tells me how data has evolved in the department. The
1: migration of the use of data from when I was a CIO to now has been astronomically fast and deep. Um, we now know we're, we're using terms of JADC2. We're using terms where we're formulating relationships and architectures across the five services now to share information in support of uh, really engaging in national security uh, operations, warfare, what have you. So, so the recognition that the, the department has of the power of data to influence its mission is Fabulous, right? It's just, it has gone from, yeah, yeah, you're the architecture nerds. You're the guys that, you know, worry about, what does tank mean to the Army, to the Air Force, to the Navy, to the Marine Corps, to now the Space Force, from now being able to derive insight that they couldn't have any other way than using a complex artificial intelligence-based algorithm to then provide uh, an actionable result in conducting warfare.
0: So you gave me a list of five benefits that the department will derive from this data deluge that they're now parsing. And Dr. Iyer will talk about that in a little bit too, I imagine. Fast, uh, better, faster decisions, transparency and trust, increased productivity and reduced cost, fraud, waste and abuse detection, and enhanced cybersecurity. What, which of those do you think has the most potential to realize benefits the fastest?
1: Which one would be? Let me look at my list. Um, I think they all actually no, have. It. it. You got okay. it. Um, I, I think they all have a speed to result that is measured in the complexity of the problem they're challenging. For example, in cyber, you know, cyber is a data problem. It just is, right? So how do I find the needle in the giant stack of needles that I don't want in my stack of needles? Okay, well, you can't do that by looking at code. You have to have the machine help you do that. You have to start automation. The way you do that is create a model, write some algorithms, and then decide, you know, does this tell me what I want to know? So that, once done, can be really beneficial in keeping bad things out of the networks. Providing AI-based decisions on data for warfare, that's hugely powerful. How do you take uh, information from disparate data sets into a command center and render a decision such that the commanding officer or the commanding general can then put people in the right place. That's really what this is about. So so I think that we are moving faster and faster, but the commodity of data is still low, right? You have to have a data scientist, you have to have a data engineer to really help you through this. You not have the ability to give Access to these powerful engines to everyday analysts—they mm-hmm. just—it's just not possible yet. It's getting there. That's what really needs to, to really happen to accelerate access to, to the data engines.
0: When you lay it out like that, too, you made a note here about the the new CDAO office. And when you lay it out like that, I think it helps clarify the logic behind having a CIO office and a CDAO office that are kind of peers at the top of the department, right?
1: Well, they're, they're complementary. I mean, I talked yeah. to John uh, uh, a couple weeks ago and at the end of the day, uh, he understands as the CIO, he has to be able to support the CDAO in their mission of data-enabled warfare, right? That's what this is about. It's, it's not who owns it, it's how do we get the answer fastest, to your mm-hmm. point. How yeah. do we get speed to decision
0: to be able to be realized using
1: this tool called data?
0: There's a great column by John, if you haven't seen it, on the homepage at DefenseScoop.com as part of our rollout of, of the new publication, and I would commend that to you if, if you haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Um, is there one of these five that is more important to the warfighter at the tip of the spear, and then on the, other, on the flip side of that... Is there one of these that maybe will be more important to the person actually in the building that is helping support that warfight? I have some ideas, but I'm curious to know about you.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm a cyber guy at heart. I love the fact that, you know, we, uh, you guys have probably heard me say this, we stare at our computers, we trust everything on the screen. But, but that's not actually true all the time. Uh, if if Anne was here she would say that that's actually fairly simple to, to now make that look different than it really does. So I think the fact that you know, using these tools to enhance things that we cannot actually realize ourselves in real time. So, so I think of AI and ML, for example, as the calculus of information technology, right? How many people here had calculus in college? You know, I hadn't no, had,
0: let me in. I had
1: four semesters of it, right? And uh, I can't say it did very well, but but at the end of the day, we don't realize how the mathematics of calculus drives so many things in our society in, in AI to be able to drive those near near real-time decisions or real-time decisions or automated decisions, right, in cyber that protects the network,
0: that protects the information that the warfighter is gonna use to render decisions. Mm-hmm. So the back off. The reason I asked you about the back office piece is because we rightfully focus on what the warfighter needs at the tip of the spear, but the other people in the building, acquisition and logistics, yeah. and so on, all all those people also will leverage data and leverage the data tools in order to succeed to ultimately support that warfighter. And that's why the one of those that jumped out at me was the Fraud, Waste, and Abuse Detect. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an audit geek, so I'm, I'm thinking about that from all the time it,
1: too. It is, it is a, a, again, to be able to then take a model, build a model and take a model to compare true versus not true, yeah. right? Whether it's tax uh, uh, forms or it is expenditures on your government credit card, right? To be able to then do that with less people, right? And then do it more accurately and do it more expeditiously, right? That saves money. So that ultimately supports the warfighter by freeing up you know, cash that's lost in the system
0: until it's found. You used a, a phrase that I think is important to call out because I expected as a person who works for a company called Cloudera, you would reference a hybrid cloud platform and you didn't you referenced a hybrid data platform is there a nuance there that i might have missed or should pay attention no,
1: to no no because you know hybrid platforms let's just let's take the architecture term out hybrid platforms are a function of reality today right you have the pro and we're funded by programs so the funded programs were the haves the haves went to the cloud as soon as they could and they went to the cloud they desired because we didn't have guidance 10 years ago and then once you're in a cloud the, the, the ability to jump to another cloud is very low at this point. So now uh, the legacy systems sat in their legacy environments and now we have a hybrid. Data environment. Data is in both places or you know, maybe it's private cloud, public cloud, legacy data centers, what have you. So so the CIOs are managing that hybrid infrastructure that contains data. So the ability to now access the data ten years ago was hard. Today there are tools that one tool can reach out to all those data sets and start to render uh, insights that weren't able to be rendered even five years ago. How and when will we know
0: that the department's been successful in achieving this vision for better uh, use of data?
1: I think when, uh, again, when, the, when we start to see everyday analysts, financial analysts, intel analysts, using more directly these data engines than they are today. Today you have to go, is it an in-expeditious in route to get a AI thing today uh, that's difficult in the next few years that should not be difficult mm-hmm. and then we know we've accelerated decision making uh, and then in three years we'll be on to the next fastest thing right yeah. this is the technology train that is in a cella right so just be mindful of the fact that in three years you're really at the next intermediate destination
0: you're not done yeah all right um, quick final thought um, what is the biggest potential roadblock to achieve what we talked about. We talked about the positive things and so on. What should practitioners be aware of um, as potential problems that could crop up? Uh,
1: and, And I think Anne referred to this is people, right? People aren't the roadblock. There are not enough people that can manage the inner workings of a data ecosystem than are needed, right? So data scientists and data engineers, just like cyber was four or five years ago, everybody, and we're still looking for a lot of cyber folks, we are coming out of college with uh, d- graduates with cyber engineering degrees. Five years ago, you couldn't do that. There are kids coming out of college today with data degrees, right? Five years ago, they were computer science majors with a you know, hint of data, okay? So we're, we're turning the, the people engine into producing a result that we need to continue this journey.
0: Rob Carey of Cloudera, the former Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Pentagon. You can find a link to the video of that conversation and all the defense talks discussions in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of The Daily Scoop Podcast. Voting's open now for the 2022 edition of the Fed Scoop 50. You can vote for your choices till September 30th. We'll announce the winners November 3rd. You can find a link to see the finalists and place your votes in today's show notes at the The Navy is finishing up its cybersecurity strategy. It's listed three tenants as its core. Chris Cleary's principal cyber advisor at the Navy. Commander Juliana Vita, U.S. Navy retired, is Group Vice President and Chief Strategy Advisor at Splunk. She's former Deputy CIO at the Navy defense scoops mark Pomerlow talked to them at defense talks in this highlight of that conversation mark asks chris cleary about those three tenants of the navy's coming strategy
2: i'd be curious to hear a little bit more on a few of these core tenants um you know secure survive strike i know that that's a, a pretty critical part of this emerging strategy so if you wouldn't mind maybe laying out what that means for the navy and how you're looking to, to kind of build those out
3: sure good morning and first of all uh, defense scoop for having me uh it's a real pleasure to be here so um when the CIO stood up, again, uh, back two years ago, and they reinvigorated the CIO, Aaron Weiss came out with his uh, modernize, innovate, defense strategy, which really is the foundation to everything the Department of the Navy does. When they introduced the principal cyber advisor to the team, we started thinking about more of the warfare applications behind what we have to do. So it's not only important that we build the foundation, data science, all the things that enable almost everything that we do right now, uh, but now how do we really apply this through warfighting techniques? So when we talk about secure, survive, strike, Secure really is where Aaron and I come together to defend and secure our information. RMF, you've heard, uh, uh, Cyber Ready is another initiative under the CIO organization. But as you move to the right of that, it's funny, we were just talking about logistics. Um, Survive. You know, at the end of the day, when we go to, uh, you know, contests, whether we're any parts of the the competition continuum, um, we are at, we are, as we engage with our adversaries, our critical infrastructure, our weapon systems are going to be targeted. Um, the Department of the Navy has to learn how to fight hurt. We all really need to learn how to fight hurt. And actually, I really like the logistics thing. Um, you know, I think it was General Bradley that said, you know, amateur study strategy, professional study logistics. And if we're not looking at the way our critical infrastructure uh, is required to enable logistics, uh, we're missing it. And then lastly, as we move over to the strike idea, so, this is one where I'm a, I go a little high and right when I talk about this. I, I probably get in a little bit of trouble because I'm pretty aggressive with the, with the talking points. Um, but at the end of the day, the Department of Defense is here to you know, engage our adversaries. Um, you know, the Columbia-class submarine does not deliver humanitarian aid. You know, at the end of the day, we build weapons systems. Uh, and as we look at the, our ability to deliver effects in and through cyberspace, two things. You know, I want our adversaries to be every bit as nervous looking down the barrel of our non-kinetic capabilities as they are every one of our kinetic capabilities. Um, And we have to really learn how to professionalize, but working with industry is the hardest part of that because at the end of the day, um, the Department of the Navy makes nothing. We get everything that we get from industry, shoelaces, uniforms, fuel, ships, munitions, everything comes from industry. Um, The cyberspace will be no different. And I think one of the things we have to do is learn how to talk about this space a little bit differently. Uh, We traditionally um, want to go behind the green door when we talk about things like offensive cyber. Uh, using the Columbia class as an example, I don't know how deep it goes under the water, I don't know how quiet it is, I don't know the yield of their weapons, but I do know it is a weapon system and I do know what it's designed to do and I do know why we need it in the Navy. So that's kind of the 10,000-foot the, the level of that.
2: Sure, and uh, picking up on that public-private partnership, Ms. Vita, I mean, from, from your vantage point here, how, how, you know, how do you see this, this playing out? How do you see uh, this public-private partnership um, uh, getting stronger going forward?
4: Um, thanks for asking that question i so Chris and I are also both Navy veterans, so we've been on the other end of the you know fighting hurt, learning how to use the tools at our our disposal, learning how to iterate with the tools that we didn't have that we that we need from the industry side now, what I'm happy to see um, from the time I was in the government to now is more of this conversation it's more open dialogue it's not oh, the Pentagon and the leaders are going to have all these meetings, and industry can't they're only going to get this much information. So now there's a lot of sharing of information that allows us on the industry side to do what we do best, which is take that information, iterate, come up with new products, new services, and get them out to the fleet or to you know to the field, whatever, for the DOD. Um, one thing I like to think that we can do too on the industry side, kind of to your point about fighting hurt, is change the way that the um, department thinks about what that means. For the Navy... Um, for anybody who's been in the Navy at all, and I'm just going to use that because that's my comfort zone and what I know, everyone is taught how to fight a fire. Everyone. And there are drills every day. And when there's a fire drill, everyone knows their place on the ship. And whether they're a fire hoseman or they're, like, leading a, a team, that's taught from, like, day one of boot camp, some day of plebe summer, whatever, and, uh, in different officer programs. I think we're at the point where we need, to get, we need to have that level of understanding of everyone's place in terms of data. How they manage it, how they use it, cybersecurity, and build that in right from the beginning. Not wait until people are 05, 06s, retiring, going to the Pentagon, or going into industry. It's, it's too late, and our adversaries aren't waiting. So why don't we build that in early? And industry can help with that, but that, that's a culture and mindset issue in DOD. And hopefully these conversations will drive more real change like that.
3: Yeah, and Can I follow up on that? Because actually you brought up a great talking point. Um, and Julian used to yell at me when we were at the Naval Academy, because she was uh, <laughs> an upperclassman and I was just a nasty plebe. Um, so, uh, you brought up a really good point about firefighting, and I used to use this talking point. You know, an early class Burke destroyer is not a COTS piece of equipment. It is a specific mission-built piece of hardware designed to you know deliver effects on our adversary and actually sustain damage. You know, sustaining damage, fighting hurt is a design characteristic of that ship, of that platform. All our weapons platforms, from tanks to airplanes, all have certain survivability things built into them because they will be engaged. And I think one of the things we need to think about as we go to build, whether it's critical infrastructure or, or even IT systems, is how do we build those more like we would look at building a warship than just an enterprise IT system? And really, you know, and I, and I think people in the government wince when we say this a little bit, those things are going to cost money. You know, if I'm going to build defense critical infrastructure designed to withstand adversary activity, it's going to be some unique design characteristics that are going to have some unique costs associated with it. And I think that's a realization the Department of the Navy, Department of Defense needs to come to if we want to have things that are truly survivable.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Can you unpack that a little bit? I mean, are are we talking about uh, technologies that have more more pace options, right? Primary, alternate, uh, contingency, emergency communications. Are we talking about, like, different levels of redundancy that will allow... The navy to fight hurt, so to speak, through maybe a cyber attack.
3: Well, again, Juliana brought it up with the firefighting analogy. You know, some things are going to be augmented with technology. You know, continuity of operations, redundancy, resilient systems. But then, you know, there's an indexure hundred sailors on a ship that do nothing but man damage control parties when at general quarters. So, when we think about things, systems when they have to be fought hurt. Is there an additional workforce that needs to come online? Is there a general quarters component of a IT system or defense critical infrastructure that when it's at a certain condition of readiness, it requires additional, you know, whatever you want to put behind it, whether it's people or technology uh, to sustain it?
4: Yeah, can I jump in there too? And it's, it's not just the, what do we do with the technology? It's the mindset of every single person has a role to play, not just the IT people, not just, you know, the, the spooks in the back, you know, on the Intel side. Every single person. And um, I was uh, listening to Rob Carey, who I've been um, respectfully disagreeing with for several years, so I'm going to respectfully disagree again. Um, I think he highlighted that we need more data scientists and more data engineers. Yes, and we also need every single person to understand data at a very basic level. Uh, because not, let's look at electricity. I like to use that example. Anybody ever used a hairdryer or seen a dryer? and the sticker on it that says, don't use the hairdryer dryer in the bathtub because it might shock you and you might die. Um, we all know that, but we're not all electrical engineers or electricians, but we're, we grow up knowing that that is dangerous. It's time to look at data and technology in that way because data can be very dangerous. It can be very helpful. It can be very valuable. But when you start to build that kind of into our cultural upbringing of we all are responsible for understanding data, then you have less of a knowledge debt to address the technology debt. And it just becomes easier to uh, build and buy things that rely on, on data and technology because more people will understand it.
2: Yeah, and this is obviously all underpinned by, by people, right? I, I'd be curious to hear how the Navy is, is looking to uh, you know, build up both its uniformed and, and civilian side here to kind of underpin what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, so on the uniform
3: side, we've, you know, the, the Navy is unique. We have a, a, a designator called Cyber Warfare Engineer. I mean, these really are unicorns when it comes to it there's just the less than 70 of them within the navy uh there's a handful of them that work at fleet cyber on a project called deep blue sea to do specifically kind of what we've been talking about with data analytics using that data science to look for vulnerabilities and i think look for creative ways to deliver effects against our adversaries um you know when it comes to people as an example i got them sitting in the in the audience right here chris real who was a mccain fellow who wanted to be a russian policy analyst why would anybody wanna do that these days? Um, and I convinced them to come over to the team to be help with cyber policy. Uh, and because, of, because it's such an emerging area, you know, there are no, you know, we, the book is not written in this space yet. We have a long way to go. There are still many, many pages to be written uh, and how we encourage people to come over, not only on the technical side of this, but the legal, the policy, the administrative, the logistics, all of these things that are really now interwoven. Um, that's just an example and, and I'm lucky to have Chris.
2: Um, anything to add on the, on the workforce front?
4: Well, I could talk about it forever. But one thing I'll say is, and it's been mentioned before, um, leveraging technology to automate some of the mundane and repeatable administrative tasks that, quite frankly, is most of the, much of the work that's done in the Pentagon and throughout the department. And it's important work, but it's not important to be done in a manual, slow way. Um, people don't like that work. It's not fun to like build spreadsheets and, and do data calls and, and collect all the manual information from the POA and M and all that stuff. All that kind of stuff can be automated easily and like click of a button just like we use our smartphones for. You know, It used to be planning a trip. You had to pick up the phone and call the travel agent or call the whatever, now you do it on your phone. Think of what creativity and like excitement about work would be unleashed if more people who work for the department could get their jobs done easier, like as easy as on a smartphone, to be doing critical thinking that humans can do. You know, the relationship building that humans can do. The technology is there. It's just a matter of, um, and the last speaker talked about, not six years from now, today. You have the technology at your fingertips. A lot of DoD customers already have it. They're not using it. And if you can just automate some of that repetition and monotony, oh my gosh, people, you know, the people that work in the department don't do it for the money or the fame they do it because they care about defending freedom and, and being public servants let's make their work fun again and enjoyable and uh that's the automation and orchestration piece that i think could be a game changer for the workforce
0: juliana vita the former deputy cio of the navy with the navy's principal cyber advisor chris cleary along with defense scoops mark pomerlo you can find a link to the video of that conversation and all the defense talks discussions in today's show notes at the daily the Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. If you really like The Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put this show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.